Hello and welcome to the Career Explorations and Genomic Medicine Research Podcast. This program is sponsored by the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's Program for Precision Medicine and Healthcare. This Career Explorations program is aimed at undergraduate students. Our goals are to help you expand your knowledge of potential careers related to genomic medicine research. And we hope to increase your understanding of what you will need to do to become a member of the genomic medicine research workforce. We also want to help you build a supportive network of professionals. Each episode of this podcast series presents a conversation with a researcher or clinician who works in a particular aspect of genomic medicine research. Thank you, everyone. I'll turn it over to Anya. Great, yeah. Um, So my name is Anya Prince, and um, I'm currently an associate professor at the University of Iowa um, in Iowa City. Um, And so I'll tell you a little bit about my background and how I got here and and what I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, And then I'm just excited to hear what your questions are. Um, So... So what I do day to day, right, is um, a mix of teaching and research. Um, And so I teach health law, I teach insurance law. um, I'm at the law school at University of Iowa. Um, And my research is in the ethical, legal, social implications of genetic testing. And so what that means from a research perspective is I'm looking at what the laws say about how people can use genetic information. Um, And I do do some qualitative and quantitative research as well. So surveying people about how much they know about genetic protections or how that affects their willingness to participate in research. Um, So a lot of it is collaborative. A lot of it is really interdisciplinary. And I'm happy to talk about sort of who is in that LC field and what the LC field is about. Um, But just to step back into how I got into this, um, I was really interested in policy. Um, And so after I was a political science major in undergrad, um, and I worked in some um, politics fields, but didn't really like the politics side of policy. I like the nitty gritty policy making. Um, And so I did a master's in public policy, but everybody whose job that I saw that I liked was a lawyer. I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I wanted to be the people who had the law degree so that I could sort of use it as that cachet to get to get into what I wanted to do. Um, and when I was in grad school, so I did a joint degree law public policy and in public policy, um, we had to take an ethics class and you could take regular old ethics and read John Locke and sort of the stereotypical um, uh, discussion of ethics or there was this class called Genetics and Society. And I thought, huh, that's kind of interesting. That will be a more fun way to cross off that, you know, check mark. And I fell in love with it. This was my second year of grad school. And I was like, okay, this, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very different career path than, um, than some who are like, I don't really know what I want to do. Right? When, when my students now ask me, well, what should I do after law school? I was like, I, you know, or they say, how did you get into it? I was like, I knew immediately, right, exactly this niche field that I wanted to be in. Um, so I acknowledge that that is not the path that a lot of people take. Um, and so then it was figuring out, okay, how do you both be a lawyer 
and work in this science field. Um, so I was really lucky to be in DC for my grad school. I went to um, Georgetown for, for graduate school. Um, and so NIH was right there. Um, so I got an internship at uh, NIH in the Department of Bioethics um, and started just working in the field. Um, I then discovered eventually, so after law school, I worked in a legal services organization. So for the cancer oncologist, um, this, is, this is relevant, um, but for the, the, uh, the hopeful cancer oncologist. Um, so I worked at an organization called the Cancer Legal Resource Center, which gave legal resources to cancer patients, because there's a lot of legal issues when you're not just a cancer patient, any patient, right? How do I get there to pay for um, or health insurance. How do I get my health insurance to pay for this new novel therapy? Um, my, you know, um, employer is discriminating against me. And so we helped with that. And I specifically helped people with genetic predispositions and concerns they had. Um, but then my policy brain was missing it. This was um, putting a Band-Aid, right? It was people coming with issues. I'm scared of genetic discrimination. What do I do? Um, and it, it was rewarding work, but for my policy brain, it felt like I was just putting the same Band-Aid on and I wanted to fix the I wanted to fix the wound and not just create a Band-Aid over and over again. Um, and so I got a postdoc um, in uh, North Carolina at UNC um, and in the Center for Genomics and Society. And so that was really cool because I could do a postdoctoral fellowship without having the doc part of it. I mean, I had the Juris doc part of it, but um, um, they accepted lawyers as a terminal degree for that position because we were looking at the ethical, legal, and social implications. And so that, that terminology, ethical, legal, and social implications is a whole field in genetics. 5% of any federal funding that goes to genomics research goes to LC research. And if you think about how expensive sequencers are or your lab stuff that you use, if you're in a research lab, 5% to like think about the, the ethical issues is actually a pretty good funding stream. Um, and so, so there's, a, there's a small but mighty group of LC researchers. And the last thing I'll say before I um, open it up to questions is one of the things I love about this field is that we are come from all disciplines, right? So many backgrounds, so many disciplines. So for those of you who are like, I'm gonna be you know, the biologist, I wanna be the geneticist, I wanna go and get my PhD in science or you know, whatever other career path you're looking at, but you have this little tickle in the back of your brain where I'm like, but I really care about the social issues of this, totally possible to still do LC, right? You don't need to change career paths, get a law degree, <laughs> on top of your, you know, MD or PhD or whatever else. Um, and so there's a lot of great geneticists who write about this issue. There's social scientists, there's medical anthropologists, there's philosophers, um, there's genetic counselors, right? So there's, it's really a huge field and we learn from each other. And sometimes that's really challenging because when you're in your silo, you speak different languages, right? So, um, I speak a very different language as a lawyer um, than somebody who's geneticist and we think about things in a different way. 
which can create tensions, right? That's, that can be really, really difficult sometimes, but it's really rewarding as well um, because you, it, it forces you to think about issues like, oh yeah, I didn't think about the medical side of this or I didn't think about the um, implications for access to care or um, implications for health. And so um, I really enjoy that I can have co-authors and um, colleagues from all sorts of disciplines um, as I'm going along. Um, well, I have a question in terms of the genetic counseling, because I'm really interested in genetic counseling and also in LC. I think that's really caught my attention since this program. But um, how, or have you interacted with any genetic counselors and how, what does that look like? Yeah, so, um, so genetic counselors are great, right? Um, because they already, their career is, pretty interdisciplinary, right? The whole fact that they're taking the genetic side and the counseling side is already a, an interdisciplinary way of thinking about a career path. Um, and so most of my, I think probably most of my collaborators would fit into that genetic counseling bucket um, because it's also the interplay of um, patient or research participant to this information. So for example, in my specific research in genetic discrimination, so I look at how insurers or employers use genetic information. And that's a really common question that genetic counselors receive is, okay, you're consenting me to do this, to participate in this project, but like who else is gonna have this information? And so I, I do coordinate a lot with them. Um, the, the interesting thing about um, genetic counseling programs, right? So one thing, if you're interested in LC work is different genetic counseling programs have your like thesis project. And I've worked with some students who are interested in doing an LC type project for their thesis project. So they'll do a survey um, on, you know, something related to the, to the ethical um, aspects of this or to um, patient questions. Um, so it's, there are mechanisms to, merge those together. And when you're looking at a program, that might be a question that you ask, like how many people, what is the, you know, how much do you teach in the LC field? Or if I wanted to do a, a thesis project in that, um, what would that look like? Oh, I have a question. Yeah. Um, what was the career path you took from like college to now, like with everything that you did? Yeah. Um, so, so I, like I said, I was a political science major and I was at UCLA. So I grew up in Los Angeles. And um, as I was saying before some of you joined the call, um, if you had told me maybe even 10 years ago that I would be teaching insurance law in Iowa, I would have said, oh, heck no, like give me out of the career path. What have you done to my future? Um, so anyway, so career paths take interesting, interesting choices, um, but I love it here. And so, um, so yeah, so I was a political science major. Um, and then after college, so that was um, 2004, I graduated from college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't sure. I, for two years, worked at Trader Joe's. So I, um, love Trader Joe's. you know, I love Trader Joe's. I, I grew up in the city where it started. Um, and uh, so I've been going there. Like I remember my mom picking me up and letting me grind coffee in those red coffee grinders when I was like five. Um, so in my interview at Iowa, they, <laughs> I was interviewing with them and we were at dinner and, 
And they said, oh, did you hear the news at Trader Joe's is opening here? And it's the first one in Iowa. And I said to them, literally, I said, I'm not joking. I now might be able to move to Iowa because I don't know how to eat anywhere else. Um, so yeah, so I, I worked at Trader Joe's for two years and um, I interned at the city attorney's office. I did some tutoring, just things to keep my feet in sort of a more academic career, but, um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and eventually I settled on the policy and law degree. Um, so while I was, while I was working, I, um, I applied for the schools and decided on going to Georgetown. So that was um, 2006 to 2010. I did um, the joint degree. It was a four year program because of the joint degree. And so uh, yeah, so graduated then in 2010 and did a fellowship at that Cancer Legal Resource Center um, for a couple of years um, and then moved to North Carolina. So a lot of moving around. That's the, um, one of the, the harder parts of um, academic careers, I think is, it's a fun part, but also a hard part because you keep being people, um, either they move or you move. And so the benefit is you have friends all over the country and world. The downside is they're all over the country and world, so. Um, I had a question. So um, that's in relation to your work at the Cancer Legal Resource Center. Yeah. So uh, can you elaborate more on what your day-to-day -day, like activity looked like? And like after you left, what was like the biggest outcome that you saw or like the change that you didn't expect to see or things like that? Yeah. So apologies if you can hear my dog in the background. It's like coughing in the background. So if there's weird noises, it's my dog in the other room. Um, so um, yeah, so at the Cancer Legal Resource Center, um, it was, there were sort of two parts of the jobs that, the, of the job that I had. Um, the biggest part of that organization is um, there's a national telephone assistance line that we run. So people from all over the country, whether it's a healthcare provider or a patient, could call into that hotline and ask questions. Um, and so that's where I would get the questions. Any question about genetics through that hotline would come to me. Um, and so it was, you know, I was denied life insurance because of this genetic test, had, or I was denied health insurance because of this test. It was before the Affordable Care Act went into effect. Um, and so that would come to me. And, and as part of that, we had students, um, both undergrad and law students from, um, who, would, who would help answer those telephone calls and, and do that. So I would both supervise the students to give the information to patients and providers um, and research any of the legal questions that came up. And then the other part of the job was education. Um, so we would go to conferences, we would do webinars um, where we would teach people about the legal, um, the legal protections that they had. So uh, it was really, it's been a really interesting time to be a health lawyer. Um, so I graduated in 2010 from law school and that was the same year that the Affordable Care Act passed. Um, and so that, that's the law that like, right, Obamacare, Affordable Care Act completely changed um, our health care system, um, but has gone through a lot of challenges um, over the years, including yesterday a Supreme Court case came out um, in, in that realm. And so it's been really, really interesting time to watch that. And that was one thing I got to do um, at, the, at the Cancer Legal Research Center. And so 
I would say that's one of the things that's been really interesting to follow is people's reactions to it and, and being part of that education of the public and healthcare providers and seeing the impact that that had um, on, on patients um, has been really interesting. So just a follow-up question. Do you think that um, just like in terms of answering people's questions, has it usually made them more receptive to healthcare and things like that, or more like questioning the entire system kind of feeling? Yeah. Um, you know, one, one anecdote really sticks out to me. Um, so uh, I don't know how much you all follow. So if you have questions, if I'm if I'm talking about something that you don't understand, just wave your hand, yell, interrupt, that's totally fine. Um, but one of the really controversial parts of the Affordable Care Act was the requirement for individuals to have insurance, right? So it's called the individual mandate and it says you have to purchase insurance or have insurance. It is now no longer um, sort of part of the law and I'm happy to, really nerd out and go down all of the different cases that have done that. But at the time, when I was doing this education, it was really controversial. And so I'm at a hospital, I'm speaking to, um, to a group about Affordable Care Act. And there was a sort of, you know, older gentleman in the back of the room who you could tell hated Obamacare, right? He's the whole time is like, rah, 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 rah. and they're sort of verbally in the middle of my talk, just but as I started talking about the individual components of the law that it doesn't stop people you know that insurers can't deny you because you have a pre-existing condition they have to cover certain cancer treatments they have to cover screenings free of cost and I got to the individual mandate and I I was sort of ready for a fight because I could tell that he was this guy who was going to hate that and I said you know, the reason we have to have this individual mandate is because if you're going to tell insurers that they have to cover people with pre-existing conditions, you have to also get enough people in the insurance pool to make that affordable, right? That's why we have both. Because if you, if you say there's no individual mandate to get insurance, I, as a younger, healthy person, I'm going to say, well, I don't need insurance until I need insurance, right? And so, you, and so that really messes up the insurance market because then everybody who's sick gets insurance and there's not, there's not the equalizer, right? Um, and so I said, that's why we have the individual mandate because the only way that we're going to get pre-existing conditions, which is the really popular part of the law, right? the only way we're going to tell insurers they can't take into account pre-existing conditions is if we have the individual mandate. And the guy looks at me and he goes, why hasn't anybody said that before? And my, you know, cynical part was like, plenty of people have been saying that you're just not like reading the right news or, or paying the right attention in the right way. Um, but that's obviously not what I said to him. Um, it was that I took the time to explain the reasoning behind it, right? To explain why we have, this is not just, you have to do this, right? And, and I think this is the case in science too, right? If you're interacting with a patient, if you're doing genetic counseling, right? And you say, well, everybody does this, right? Or we can think about it in today's context with masks and public health and that messaging, right? We can tell everybody to wear a mask. That's not gonna go over well necessarily unless we say, okay, here's, what's, here's the reasoning behind it. Here's what the evidence says. And I think that's a really true thing about law, about science, about communication in, in general. 
So, thank oh, you. Oh, and now my smoke alarm's going off. It's just <laughs> there's somebody downstairs cooking. I'm assuming, so we're probably fine. But <laughs> actually, had a question. Sure, you don't want to check. <laughs> oh no, we're we're good. We're good. Um, I actually had a question. Um, yeah. I wanted to know how did you frame your law school application? Like, did since you kind of briefly touched on, like, you already knew what you wanted to do, did you express that through your personal statement? Um, so, like, how did that work out for you? Yeah, great question. So, so at the time that I applied for law, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, because the class where I fell in love with genetics was actually during law school. Um, so I think the biggest thing is you don't need to have your entire life out. Um, and... Um, I'll, I'll both answer this from what I did, but I also sat on the admissions committee for the law school last year, which is fascinating to be on the other side of those applications. Um, so the biggest thing is show your passion, right? Show why you want to go to that school or go into that field. So I would say show why you want to go into that field, but also show why that school that's a part of the applications that I read where people miss the most is they say, I'm super interested in law or biology or, you know, fill in the blanks. Right. Um, and they might be a fairly strong candidate, but then they say nothing about Iowa compared to a student who's like, and I'm really excited about this clinic that you have, or I saw that you have a class in such and such. Um, it doesn't have to be long, right? Just one sentence that, is the placeholder in the application that changes for each school to show I'm super excited about this and I'm super excited about you guys in particular, right? Um, oh, okay. So, so what I, you know, I honestly don't remember exactly what I wrote in my law school applications because that's now like 15 years ago, um, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I, and I was working at Trader Joe's, right? So I didn't have like a whole bunch of, sort of um, experience that, that seemed to fit the bucket. Um, I did think that, I think, uh, I remember a story that I told in an interview, and I have included this in an application as well, which was experiencing how I, as a, as a woman working at Trader Joe's, was treated differently than my male um, co-workers. Uh, and Trader Joe's, and, um, but I could experience just a little sliver of it to understand how much bigger of a problem that was for other people. And so talking about it like that, here's my experience, here's, here's what I experienced. And that doesn't mean that I understand, you know, everything there is to know about law or, or civil rights law or anything like that. Um, but I got a little piece of it at this experience that I had. And that's why I want to go learn more, right? Um, and so you can think about that for your own experiences of, I worked in this research lab, or I took this one class, and I learned this much of it, and that was super fascinating. So you don't have to be know exactly what you want to do, or um, or know everything about the area that you're in. So this is what got me along this path, and here's why I think your school would be really good to to figure out what, what you don't know. And then a year later, you're like, oh, actually, I want to go into genetics law, right? Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the path that you pick, um, but it's a story. Yeah. And, and so, uh, sorry. Um, so, 
you know, I think it's, it doesn't mean that you have to know exactly what you want to do, but reading some of the articles that are out there, or you will, so this is just a, you know, unsolicited advice, but sending an email to somebody and saying, how did you like, like you're all doing to me, right? How did you get into what you're doing? Why? Yeah. What sparked your interest? People love talking about themselves, right? <laughs> so if you, if you like show that you have some interest, so many people, especially I've found in the LC field, are more than happy to reach out and to talk. And so setting up some informational interviews with people, and I will just say my email is absolutely open for any of you. If you want to have follow-up conversations, send me an email and just say like, we met at, um, at this thing and let's have a further conversation. Totally happy to do that, even if it's like five years from now and you have to remind me, <laughs> we, we met at this thing. Um, totally fine. Um, but find somebody and just start to have those conversations. And then sometimes you won't get an email back. All right, right? Like you're not gonna piss somebody off from sending that email. The worst that happens is that you don't hear back and that's fine. But the best that happens is you have a phone conversation. And then they're like, oh, hey, do you want to be a research assistant on this project, right? Oh, hey, like now I've met this other person. And then it just starts to, to join in. And so Bria, to your question about like, how do I know what I want to do or, and when? There's not an easy answer to that. And there's not a right answer to that, right? There, I know people who, um, are in LC work, they were MDs, they were like doing, you know, completely patient care. And then they went back and got their master's of bioethics because they thought, oh, I wanna do more of the, of the ethical side work. But that was when they were 45 or 50, right? I know people who, you know, did law school first. Um, one of my post, fellow postdocs at UNC was a neuroscience PhD. He finished his neuroscience PhD and then thought, you know what, I actually don't really like animal research, but that's my career path. So then he went back and did a master's of bioethics and law, right? That's a lot of schooling, but that was his career path. So nobody's career path is linear. And I think what you have to do is just try to have as many doors possible that could be opened and then you kind of just see which one opens, right? And it, that's a, it's an unsatisfying way to talk about career when you're, when you're behind those doors. <laughs> but honestly, nobody's career path is like, not nobody. There are people who are like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to get this fellowship, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and they do it. And God love them, great. Like, if you can map out your career like that, great. But that's not the norm. Um, so I think if you're... You know, if you're like, oh, law school sounds like that may be interesting, try to sit in on a law school class, right? Especially mm. with Zoom. You want to sit in on my health law class next fall? Come on in, right? Like, I mean, not the whole semester. That'd be crazy. You don't need to do that when you're also an undergrad. But if you want to sit in on one of my classes and see what it's like to be a Zoom law student, like, I'm totally fine with you all doing that if you want. Um, so, Brie, if you want to say, I don't know about law school, maybe that could be interesting. Um, sit in and see what that would look like, but also sit in on a biology, you know, talk to a biology PhD um, and, and see what that would be, look like too. And just see, you know, um, what that, what that all looks like. And it's hard to keep all those doors open. Jump into one when the opportunity opens up, but, um, but that's kind of the goal. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah.
Do um, do you guys or people you work with um, do advocacy work in terms of like, say, for example, like protecting the Affordable Act or CARE Act? Do y'all do advocacy work with like government? Yeah. Um, so I'll say a couple of things to that. Um, one is, yes, like I um, in the field of genetic discrimination, I've um, uh, done work on like there should be a model law or there should be a law against that broadens genetic discrimination rules outside of health insurance. So to life insurers and to care. So I've spoken to insurers about that. I've done some like hearings in front of um, state legislators, not not like. I don't know. There's this weird group that does that state legislators in the insurance field. So I've spoken in front of them. Um, I will also say that as a um, pre-tenure young female, um, I do less of that advocacy that would put me in the spotlight in a um, pretty conservative state um, than I will once I get tenure. <laughs> um, so that's just um, that's just part of the you know politics of of um, career. So, and, and not everybody is like that pretender. That's just a decision that I made, um, especially for things outside of my field. Um, so I'll, I'll show you all just an example, right? I have my like artwork here and then I have this that I stare at all the time. Um, <laughs> that's like, this is what inspires me, but I don't show that to the, the, like my colleagues and everything because, um, because that's just the nature of pre-tenure. I do it a little bit, right? It's not that I like don't talk about all of that in general, um, but I'm a little bit more cautious about what I advocate for and how publicly I advocate it for it, um, just because of because of where I am and and um, and, and all of that. Um, but there are a lot of people in the LC field who who do that type of advocacy. And what's really cool is there's a lot of ways to actually see meaningful change because genetics moves so quickly and there's always ethical questions um, that, you know, um, so another, another version of this I'll say is like uh, National Society of Genetic Counselors, uh, American College of Medical Geneticists and Gen um, Genetics and Genomics, so ACMG, uh, American Society of Human Geneticists, um, ASHG, they all have student um, involvement. So if you can join or go to a conference as a student. And oh. they all have um, policy committees. And so um, that's like one example of advocacy that's not like, you know, I'm, I'm in front of Congress advocating for something, um, but I'm, I'm in discussions with those groups, right? Um, or one can be in discussions with those groups and, and make policy change. Yeah, Marissa, do you have a question? Um, so how do we join those groups like that you just mentioned? Like, I, I couldn't write them all down. Because, oh, yeah, no, they're perfect. Um, is there a way that you so, can email them to me? Yeah, yeah, I can I can um, find links and, and send them. Um, okay, should, should I drop my email in the chat? To, um, well, Lana, if I email you or Sabrina, and then you can send it on. Yeah, we can um, definitely provide information on different groups that the students can join. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I think they, I mean, I know like NSGC has some, I'm pretty sure okay, that most, most types of ones like that do. And I'm sure like, um, 
uh, Anjali like ASCO, which is American Society of Clinical Oncologists, um, might have one too. Like these are huge organizations and they can be intimidating. Um, but especially with everything moving online, right, it's so much cheaper to like not have to fly to a conference when you don't necessarily have funding to do that. Um, okay. But to, to watch some of their webinars, right, um, okay. or to attend the conference that is now virtual. Um, and a lot of those have student rates to attend the conference. So it might not be like a full student membership, although I think some have that. Um, okay. But then it's just, yeah, sitting in on the tops. And, um, and again, people like talking about themselves, right? Like, so if you hear a talk by somebody that you're like, wow, I really, like, I'm impressed and maybe I, that's the career I wanna go to, shoot them an email that says like, I, I heard you talk at this in this conference and if you have you know a little bit of time and one one tip I learned was don't ask for too much time like say 15 minutes right could I could I talk with you for 15 minutes about um, your work um, and then you're not taking right because these are busy people and again they might not say yes but generally most people are willing to say yeah, 15 minutes and if that conversation actually 45 minutes like cool <laughs> yeah, but, but at the very least you have a couple questions that you get in for 15 minutes okay so you'll email the list to the um sabrina powell yeah yeah okay thank you so much of course i'm writing myself my little note oh yeah i did too so how would you say your work affects your lifestyle yeah great question um so so it's interesting thinking about um, other uh, other lawyers, right? So I chose a career path where um, I had friends who graduated law school the same year I did and immediately started making, you know, 100K. Um, and I went to a nonprofit and then I did a postdoc, which like don't make that <laughs> as much. Um, but... I have had great quality of, of work-life balance, right? I mean, academia, you can have horrible work-life balance, but that is because you create that yourself, right? You're like, it's all these type A personalities who are like, I need to like do this work because I love it and I just wanna keep on working. And then you have to remind yourself, no, it's okay to you know take time off. Um, so I think it's great. It's a career where um, it can be pretty stable and it's not that you're not living comfortably right um and you get travel and um and uh weekends right and, and things and obviously like it, there are times when it's busier right when i'm teaching i'm working more hours than when i'm doing research over a summer um but it does have a lot more flexibility than if i were in a big law firm um working on litigation where all my hours would would be taken to follow up on that question, um, so have you taken any up on any cases? Because I think I was watching the show where, oh, the RGB or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, <laughs> her little biopic or whatever. And I think she was saying as a teacher, she was able to, or as a professor, she was able to take on cases. So like, have you done that? Or are you open to doing stuff like that? Yeah, um, so I have not done that. Um, I, I do have colleagues who have. Um, because I have never litigated, I just don't feel 
like I have the skill set to do that. Um, also, genetics and the law is such a narrow topic that there's not like that many cases that are coming out. Um, however, if there were like a genetic discrimination case and somebody wanted my expertise on that, like that's something that I would be open to, right, where I could help to write a brief based on the knowledge that I have. Um, I would not be the one who's arguing it because I, I don't have that skill set, right? That is not something that I've cultivated. I did like a mock trial in law school and that was it. Um, so they wouldn't want me as their attorney that way. Um, but it is something where um, it's called pro bono work, right? Where you kind of do that on the side for, for free or, or a consulting work. Um, so that's something that I could do in the future. I just haven't given the, the area that I focus on. Um, my pro bono work is more often like um, working with uh, community patient groups, right? And they might have a question about insurance access. And so that's not, it's a legal question, but it's not a litigation question. And so it's more just giving them the resources and helping to point them towards, um, towards parts of the law that they could use. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched that, um, that myopic yet. I need to. Yeah, I really like it. <laughs> I have, this is my other, um, this is my other art that I keep on my side of the desk. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll uh, pose a question to you. Um, in the current state of affairs right now, what's going on in the world, you know, after, um, George Floyd's death. How do you think that feeds into um, legal issues with genetics, especially for people of color and their concerns about genetic testing? And what do you think are the biggest challenges um, legally for genomics yeah. and genetics? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, it's a huge, it's a huge issue um, for health law generally and genetics as well. Um, and so, you know, one thing we're seeing with COVID um, is the racial disparities in um, outcomes. Uh, and so, um, you know, black and brown communities are more likely to be in, in work where they're exposed. And then our, we already had existing health disparities in terms of access and in terms of underlying health conditions that has nothing to do with the biology of it, just has to do with how we've structured society. Um, and so health law in general, the, the scholars in the field have been pretty good about pointing this out for years. And so I am hopeful that this sheds the light for other people um, to think, oh my gosh, this, yeah, you're right, this really, this really is a problem. Um, and in genomics, that feeds in too, right? Um, in a number of different ways. I remember um, I was, so the Cancer Legal Resource Center um, was in Los Angeles. And so I was giving a talk on genetic discrimination to um, a group of women at a, um, a black church in Inglewood. And so we were talking to cancer patients. We were, um, we were talking about genetic discrimination. And I talked about lots of things, but I added on a piece about genetic discrimination. And I remember a woman saying, that is a luxury for us to be worried about genetic discrimination. We're worried about housing. We're worried about, you know, jobs. We're worried about so much else um, that we can't, we can't be worried about what an insurance company is going to do with our genetic information. Like that's, 
that would be a luxury to even begin to think about how that's a problem. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not a problem to have those disparities permeate into genetics as well. Um, and so I think, I think it's an area where there's a lot of work that, and there's a lot of really great ELSI scholars um, who work on um, equitable access to genetics. I mean, our like genetics biobanks are horribly <laughs> skewed to people of European ancestry right now. Um, so what I can also do is send some um, scholars. So Shaniqua Collier is one. Um, uh, Rotini, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his first name right now. Um, he's at NIH and has done work on health disparities in genetics. Um, so there's some really great scholarship in the ELSI field in terms of access and, and why it's important to get um, uh, just greater representation, but also not just, oh, we just need to get greater representation. Like that's not gonna fix the problem if you have distrust in the medical system, if you don't have um, enough diversity amongst geneticists or genetic counselors, right? That, so I think there's some good dialogue out there that is addressing those sides of the problem and realizing that you can't just say, well, let's just get more people involved in research. Like that is, that is something where you need the community involved. You need trust. You need people who look like other people right, to um, want to join um, research projects. So, um, so I think there's discussion in that area. It's by no means perfect, right? But um, there's some good scholarship um, in there. Yeah, to add on to that, um, I was, I know we talk about race a lot, but what about like gender and like how that plays, if it plays any in terms of like biases? And like, yeah, um, law? And there's a lot of questions of, of gender equality in science, right? Um, and so that's something that um, we all face, right? And you all will face. Um, I would like to say that you're not going to face that, but you will. There's also a lot of great resources, right? If you're on Twitter at all, like um, Black STEM um, or 500 Women Scientists um, are some really great um, Twitter um, conglomerations that just highlight um, women in science and, um, and Black women in science. And so, um, so I think there's ways to kind of get community support, um, but everybody will face comments and um, things. And I definitely get that as a, as a lawyer, right? And especially somebody who looks like I could be a student, right? That, and I look like I could be a student because people don't imagine young women as, um, as law professors, right? Or as oncologists or as um, all of that. And so, so it will be a problem that all of you will face, but I also think that there's resources. And I think um, one thing that I appreciate about what's going on right now is that with whether it's Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter movement, right, more people in society are getting the language, right, that they should have gotten a long time ago, right? But more people um, are comfortable with somebody saying something like, hey, there's these disparities, or um, I'm finding this a barrier. Um, and that's not gonna be everybody um, in academia, but there will, there will be allies and you just find them and hold on to them tight. <laughs> Do you know of any initiatives going on right now to, um, I guess, or in the LC community to fight the disparities, gender and race? 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll mention one for um, genetic counseling. Um, the genetic counseling, so this was um, before um, George Floyd, just in general, has been grappling with, um, with their diversity problem, right? It is mostly white women. Um, and and um, I don't know the breakdown, but probably mostly higher socioeconomic status as well, just because you have to pay for your own interviews and right, travel around the country. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so um, I have one of my good friends here is on the leadership committee um, and she, they've been doing like anti, they, they were doing readings in some um, conference um, programming around anti-racism um, at their last conference back in um, fall of 2019. Um, and it's one of the initiatives of NSGC to think about diversity. Um, and so there are those types of things throughout. I think there could be a lot more of that. And um, the part of the hard thing is that it's a, a pipeline thing, right? And it's not, it's sort of like the genomics research piece. You can't just say, oh, all we need is, is more diversity in this field because that's hard to do until you, until you get the mentoring and until you get um, all of that support. So I think there are people thinking about it. Um, and again, there could be more, but, um, but there are some people. And if you want me to connect you with, with anybody or, or kind of try to find those, feel free to email. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah, Marissa. Oh, are there any initiatives we can like join? And if so, can you email them to us? Yeah, um, I don't know whether there's any that are like signing up for. Um, again, that's one where um, there's so I don't particularly love Twitter, but I do like it for getting connected to um, these particular initiatives, right? So, like I said, 500 women scientists. Um, is one right so i just follow some very specific health law or health you know research people um and then i just ignore all comments and ignore the rest of twitter that can just mm -hmm. really be hard um or i set up lists right so there's ways where you can set up lists where you just look so if i'm not in the mood to read anything about um politics or policy, I can just click on my like health law list and then I just read about health law. Um, so that's another way to kind of keep that separate, right? If you do want to follow different different people. Um, so that's one way that I hear about a lot of these types of things. Um, I'll, I'll keep an ear out and definitely send, um, send you all resources if I think of something. I, off the top of my head, I don't know of like one particular thing to, to join at the moment, um, but but that doesn't mean they're not out there. Thank you. Yeah. Do y'all? Oh, thanks. Sorry. Do y'all often participate in um, things like journal clubs between your peers? Um. Yeah. So. Ooh. So we did that at when I was a postdoc, um, and it was great. I loved it. Um. And I haven't done that as much. So I started at Iowa three years ago. Um, so I haven't done that as much lately just because getting up and running teaching and <laughs> figuring out what life is like here hasn't given me that luxury. Um, the version of that now I think is conferences um, where that's the chance to meet people, to nerd out about subject, to hear the most recent um, research that's going on. Um, and it, you know, it's, um, 
those aren't happening as much either right now. <laughs> um, so, um, so I do think there's a void in that. Um, but it, it is something where, you know, seeking people out like, like that or setting up one with you all right going forward or, or whatever the, the case is, there's definitely ways to, to keep those types of things going. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I had a question, like how would you get published in a journal while you're in college? Yeah, um, so, so it's definitely um, possible to do. I think, um, I think one of the best ways to do that is to partner with a, a team. Right. So okay. a research project that's already going on. So whether that's finding a mentor who's publishing um, or a research lab on campus that's publishing and and not just not just um, being in that lab, but go to the person and say, my goal is to get on a paper. I would love to be able to do that. What would I need to do to okay. get there? Um, because not all labs are going to be open to that. And you also have to, you know, build up skill sets. So, like, the first thing that everybody needs to do is, like, learn pipetting or whatever the version is. And that doesn't mean, right, that's not necessarily going to get you on a paper. Um, but you spend a semester doing that, and then the next semester, right, if they know that that's your goal and you show that you're happy to put in the work to, like, do the basics that, that they need, then maybe in the next semester you do a little bit more and then the next semester you do a little bit more um, and, and join on that, right? So it's, it's not gonna be necessarily like, oh, and then, and then we have that, but I, I think it's possible it's just making clear that that is a goal of yours early on and maybe they say, oh no, we don't do that in this lab. And then like, okay, that's fine, right? <laughs> but, um, but if they know that's your goal, then you, then you figure out how to get there. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. I have a question going back to the law school admissions process. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any, are you aware of any like health law related scholarships? Oh yeah. That's really important. I'll write that down. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like, I mean, the health law field is so big, right? So um, there's public health law, there's reproductive health law, there's, um, there's all sorts. Um, so some that are kind of um, the mix of um, biology and law. There's a um, Journal of Law, Medicine, and Ethics, um, which has pieces that are really interdisciplinary. So it's some law and it's some um, doctors and um, other people writing in that space. Um, the Journal of Law and the Biosciences is another one that's at the intersection of law and medicine. Um, and then health affairs is a much more like wonky policy health. Um, and so they look at like Affordable Care Act and um, health policy choices. Um, this is outside of academia, but um, Kaiser Family Foundation and Johnson are both nonprofits that do a lot of really great information in the health, health space in general, um, but that that touches on on health law as well. What was the other one, Johnson? Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Sabrina, I think you're on. Yeah, I can hear. I can see you talking. Was the question about scholarship, like a, a, an area, a discipline, or a scholarship, like funding to go to college, oh. or graduate school? Good clarifying. Um, 
It was, yeah, thank you. It was about, um, like, the funding to go to grad school. So, like, if you wanted to pursue your JD. But yeah. I thank you again for, like, what you just said, because that was helpful. I didn't know about some of those. So, yeah. Both. Yeah. So, so in terms of funding, so JDs are not, like, um, PhDs where they can be funded either through research or anything like that. Um, a lot of law schools will have their own scholarships, so they'll be particular to the law school, um, whether it's a merit-based scholarship or a, um, or a, you know, di different different funding streams within the law school. Um, so those are those are more specific to the law school. Um, that isn't to say that there's not a sort of more national based one, but I, I can't think of any right off the top of my head. Um, most of the funding that I know of is, is school specific, right? Like an alumni will have donated to the school to help fund, um, you know, different, different types of students to come to the school. Um, so right. looking at school. Yeah. I was going to say, right. And, and I guess in terms of that, then, um, cause I know that some law schools are starting to accept the GRE is really nice since you have to take the GRE for like other grad programs. However, I was also kind of informed that in terms of scholarship money for like going to law school, it was mainly tied into that taking the LSAT. So I don't know if you, I don't know if you could answer this, but I'm wondering like, could, is it possible to get those merit-based scholarships based on your GRE score versus like having yeah. that? That's a great question. I actually don't know. Our school, it still only accepts the L LSAT. Um, and so I don't know what schools are doing. Um, that's something we're emailing the admissions department. They, they would have the answer to that and they would be happy to answer that. Um, the other thing I'll say is schools um, are interested, right? It's a competition for students as much as it's a comp, as much as, as, you are competing to get in, the schools are also competing to get the best students, right? And so um, one thing is don't be afraid to email an admissions department and say, I'm really excited about this school. I would like to come, but finances are like a, a concern. So that is one thing I did. I was deciding between two different schools, Georgetown and another school. The other school had given me um, as a merit funding for, for going there, but they weren't my first choice. And so I emailed Georgetown. I said, you are my first choice school, but I've gotten X amount of money from this other school. And I don't want the decision to have to come down to finances. And, um, Georgetown didn't match what I had gotten, but they did give me some money, um, to go there enough that I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll go there. Right. So, um, so Brie, I think it's 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 good that you're thinking about scholarships up front, um, but also there are other ways of getting access to that money, even if it's not sort of a named scholarship, right? So when you just apply to the school, schools have pots of money that then they offer to students to entice them to the school. Um, and so, and and some of that, right, some of it is, um, people with certain scores, some of it is diversity initiatives. Um, it's so like Iowa has specific money for diversity initiatives where we will um, offer more money um, to candidates so that we can help increase the diversity at the schools. So, um, and, and we don't advertise that, right? That's not like, 
apply for this bucket. It's just that we look for students who meet um, both our, our, the scores that we're aiming for um, and other criteria that we're aiming for. And, um, and so there's some legal room there where people can come back and be like, so <laughs> I need a little bit more to make this feasible. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get it, right? <laughs> like this is all, this is the same with like emailing people and saying, can we have coffee, right? People might say no, but they're not going to say yes if you don't ask them. So. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. We're only two minutes left. Anyone have one last question or? Oh, I have a question. Um, um, this is just like, when is the next talk? When's the next talk? Is that uh, our next talk is Friday at noon. Tomorrow. Okay, okay, thank you. Well, please join me in thanking uh, Anya Prince for joining us today. And uh, thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise and your advice. And we'll share her email and also send out some um, uh, sources if you guys want to continue to think about pursuing uh, a degree in law and how it relates to genomics. Yeah, and like thank I said, don't hesitate to reach out in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you. Good to meet you all. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.